I've yeah. seen a lot of problems with the Apple earbud headphones because for me at least, it gets caught under my collar. And so you can still pick up enough audio, but when you turn, like it's rubbing on shirts on, you know, top and bottom. You're dressed when you do this? <laughs> I just have a shirt on. <laughs> yeah, we know we've got Eric at least half covered, folks. Are you a busy Ruby developer who wants to take their freelance business to the next level? Interested in working smarter, not harder? Then check out the upcoming book, Next Level Freelancing, Developer Edition. Practical steps to work less, travel more, and make more money. It includes interviews and case studies with successful freelancers who have made a killing by expanding their consultancy, developed passive income through informational products, built successful SaaS products, and become rockstar consultants making a minimum of $200 an hour. There are all kinds of practical steps on getting started, and if you sign up now, you'll get 50% off when it's released. You can find it at nextlevelfreelancing.com. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 32 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. We also have Jim Gay. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we're going to be talking about pivoting into other development areas. Before we get going, though, I want to ask you guys, is there anything interesting going on in your businesses or lives lately? I'm sick. That's interesting. That That's not good. Um, I have been renovating my house unexpectedly. Um, and actually, I've been talking with a friend of mine, Sean Marcia, and he's done freelancing and he's, you know, been employed and, and we've had discussions of what's the benefit of being employed versus being uh, a freelancer. And, um, I've taken, you know, I planned to take a month off to finish writing my book, but I ended up fixing things in my home. You know, we'd open up a wall to fix one thing and find a host of other problems. And to be able to take time off to do that, I think would be really, really rare if I were somebody's employee. So when it comes down to contracts, I can say, I need to take some time off. I'll be back on the contract, you know, after this time. I happen to be in between contracts right now, so it works out fine. But when you're an employee, you're sort of uh, beholden to asking for permission to take care of things at home. Awesome. Now, Eric, I'm going to prompt you a little bit. Didn't you just start a new podcast? Yeah, I was actually going to say that for the picks, but I'll bring it up right now since you're prompting me. So started a new par- podcast with Brennan. Uh, it's called The Business of Freelancing. We have two shows up right now. And actually, just this morning, we were uh, accepted into iTunes. So you can find us in iTunes. Um, I actually searched on my phone, and it's in there as Business of Freelancing. So um, we're still trying to get our feet wet and figure out exactly what we're doing. But it's going to be... It's kind of similar to this podcast, but it doesn't have the technical development aspects. Um, it's more of the business side. We're both pretty going to be pretty heavily on the marketing stuff and talking to clients and working with clients. So it's like I said, you can get it in iTunes. Um, you can also go to the site. It's businessoffreelancing.com and it's available right now. Yeah, I know somebody that just subscribed. I also know somebody, same somebody who, who knows a little about podcasting. So if you have some questions, you're welcome to ask him. Um, How do I make my audio not sound like crap <laughs> uh, without spending $5,000 on equipment? Um, I've probably only spent about 1000 on equipment. Anyway, maybe we should do an episode on podcasting. And in fact, I, I, know, I actually know a guy that I'd bring on for that. Uh, I, I think that would be really cool. Um, 
the the guy I would bring on, he's actually the host of the podcast Answer Man podcast. His name's Cliff Ravenscraft. He's a, he's we're becoming good friends. He's he's a friend right now, and uh, we're getting to know each other a little bit better. But anyway, um, one thing that I have that I I've just done is I just released or I just opened up registration for an introduction to CoffeeScript uh, webinar. So if you're interested in that, you can go sign up. It's at intro to coffeescript.eventbrite.com. And I will probably have some shortened URL for that somewhere next time we talk. But anyway, um, I'm, I'm trying to get into that more, just talking about stuff. And um, my wife and I are also prepping to go out to Aloha Ruby. So fun stuff. All right, well, let's get into the topic then and talk about this. It's it's pivoting into other areas of development. Um, we can probably talk about pivoting into other areas, period, if we wanted to talk about like design and stuff. But uh, have you guys had any experience pivoting from one technology to another as a freelancer? Yeah, I've done it twice, maybe three times, and I'll have to think about it. What about you, Jim? It's funny that you should mention design. So I used to be... Sort of still am, but I mostly do Ruby development now. But I used to be a graphic designer um, all day long, and I changed from that into doing development. So um, I haven't, you know, I, I've had projects where I wasn't hired to do per se the what they had, but they needed something better. So, for example, I had a client who was using Cold Fusion an access database and a bunch of Dreamweaver templates. And it was as good as that sounds. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I, that sounds really <laughs> painful. Yeah, they would, they would, um, they told us, you know, they were on this access database. They'd say, oh, well, you know, uh, we'd ask them, what, what do you do when you need to change the schema or you're adding a field or something? Oh, well, we just lock the database. Well, how do you lock the database? Cause access, as far as I know, has no way of locking the database. They would email everyone and say, hey, I'm taking this database down. I'm going to change it. And they download it and do whatever you're going to do and re-upload it. And this was their production database. And uh, so that quickly came to an end. But um, we moved <laughs> we moved them from doing all that to getting them on Postgres and a couple of Rails applications uh, and some plain old Ruby applications. And so, you know, I wasn't hired necessarily to do cold fusion, but they said, Hey, here's what we have. Can you help us? And it was at a time when a lot of people were looking at Rails or Django and we pretty much just tossed the coin and went with Rails after looking at the, the options. Huh. So I, I'm going to echo Eric's question. How, how do I make my design not look like crap? Oh, there's so many resources, right? Um, that, okay, then actually, a prefix of that, that, like, how do you make my design not look like crap without having to spend years learning design? Oh, yes, exactly. But, but that's, that's a topic for another show. I just, I was, I was trying to be funny. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, so you pivoted from design to Rails or to programming. H have you made any changes recently? I mean, there are other technologies that are kind of, uh, coming to, coming to be, uh, exciting and interesting now. I haven't really. I mean, there are definitely things that I want to put more time into and um, explore, but uh, at least for me, there's plenty of demand for either, you know, doing front-end work with, um, be it design or just things like, you know, JavaScript um, or 
you know, Ruby development. So I, I haven't seen a lot of demand. I know a lot of developers are getting excited about different languages, but I haven't seen a lot of uh, requests for a ton of other stuff. On the other hand, I'm not really involved in like the closure space. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe things just aren't popping up on my radar because I'm not playing with closure yet. Right. It's funny you bring up closure. What the ones I keep hearing about are JavaScript. Um, and then occasionally I'll hear like mobile stuff. So, um, I know that iPhone is pretty hot right now. Android, it seems to ebb and flow. Um, some, but yeah, so th- those are, there are those technologies too. And I've thought about actually, um, not doing a full pivot where I quit doing Rails, but kind of a partial pivot where I pick up the ability to do some of the mobile development. So, yeah, I mean, I've actually thought the same. I mean, about a month, maybe two months ago, I was like, oh, let's take a look at mobile and JavaScript stuff. Cause I've, I've done a little bit of each, like mobile web, not like actually uh, Objective C or any of that. And looked at it and I, I think recently I kind of decided like, I really do like Ruby. Like, yeah, JavaScript's nice and it has some great features, but if given the choice, I would rather program in Ruby over JavaScript. And I would rather program in Ruby or JavaScript over pretty much anything else right now. So I've, I've, I've looked at that too. And it's kind of, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out a way to kind of bring in like more mobile stuff and do kind of like what, um, what Jim was saying with the more front end JavaScript type stuff, but I don't know. I mean, I, I'm still kind of still a hardcore server side guy on most things right now. Yeah. I'm think, good. I'm good with that. It I, makes sense too. I think that's interesting. Like one of the things that I've been trying to be guarded against is, you know, I love Ruby, but am I just set in my ways at this point and I just want to stick with Ruby? You know, am I not giving another programming language a fair shake or another? environment a fair shake because um i've just settled you know and um but i feel the same way like i keep coming back like you know i can write ruby code that's really clean really elegant and uh get my points across in in a readable way and maybe not as much in other languages or i don't know so i that's that's one of the things like when i consider what's happening out there um am i going to be any happier in it and you know it makes me think of Matt's designing the language to be optimized for developer happiness. Are there other languages that are done the same way? Uh, and are there other communities out there where people are just as happy using that language? Um, I don't know of one, <laughs> if there is one. Yeah, I know quite a few people who are pretty happy doing JavaScript. And I also know people that have gone from Ruby and or Rails into mobile development like Objective-C or Android, and they they really love it. So... I think I think uh, it really just depends on where where you get your satisfaction from. You know how much a part of the language plays, as opposed to maybe the problems you're solving, things like that. Yeah, I mean it's very very subjective. I mean it's like what you know natural language do you like speaking? Do you like English or do you like Spanish? I mean that you know that's it's different, but it's similar in that what works best for you and what kind of accomplishes what you want to do. And I mean, I, I, the big thing I think is you kind of got to look at stuff with an open mind. I mean, don't go into like JavaScript thinking, I want to beat JavaScript so it looks like my Ruby or works like my Ruby. You know, you got to look at JavaScript as what JavaScript is, what it's good at, what it's bad at, and use it for what it's supposed to be for. You know, I think this kind of, you know, square peg into a round hole kind of 
it's interesting and it makes a lot of good blog post type stuff. But in the end, that's kind of where you kind of lose the productivity and you lose a lot of the, the richness of each language or framework or style of programming. Yeah. So to bring us back around to the topic, what, what pivots have you made, Eric? So before freelancing, I, I have to say this because I, I love talking about this. I first got into programming around college. And so the first two programming languages I learned, which was concurrently, was Visual Basic and COBOL. The fun thing about COBOL, I was writing COBOL code on a MacBook G3, which was running Linux, which wasn't actually using COBOL. It was compiling COBOL into C, which ran through the C compiler to make a binary output. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Fun. But in all honesty, the only thing I ran on that computer was a console and nano. I didn't even have a GUI. And I think I was getting like 16 hours of battery life on a battery that would only take like 30% of the capacity. So like that, that was, that was my college years, but I have to say that that's just amazing. It's just, yeah, I was, I was running a bastardized language that compiled to a bastardized language that compiled to machine code. And I was running it on a machine that wasn't actually built to run the operating system I was running on to build the bastardized code that I was running. Yeah, and I mean, the, the reason was is because that was an old power PC, and all of the COBOL compilers for Linux needed Intel architecture. So I right. couldn't use that. And I found one that it sent it to C, and then from there, I mean, you know, there's obviously power PC compilers for C, so I was able to use that toolchain. So that's just, that's just something I wanted to throw out there. But since then, since I started freelancing, um, I started freelancing, I already was doing Rails for a while there. I did a kind of a minor pivot into PHP and actually WordPress development for a bit. A lot of that was just to kind of keep the income coming in. And I had a lot more PHP experience, like actual production apps I was building. So I went to PHP for a little bit and I'm still doing some Rails stuff. Um, I still was using Ruby, you know, for day to day scripting and stuff and then came back, went hardcore into Rails. And then from there, I actually pivoted and that's when I started doing a lot of Redmine development and then that turned into Chili Project development. So it's still Rails, but when you're talking a you know, 40, 50,000 line application, it, it, that's almost its own little ecosystem you have to work in. And then recently, since that, I've kind of left Redmine and Chili Project development and went back to kind of more general Rails programming. And um, like I mentioned a little bit ago, I was kind of dabbling and in going into JavaScript heavily. Um, kind of backed away from that, but I'm still picking up JavaScript stuff on the side, mostly for like front end enhancement stuff. So I've had a lot of little pivots. Um, not really that many major pivots other than the, the Ruby PHP stuff. Right. So it's, it's funny because the only sort of pivot that I've done and I'm kind of in the middle of it is I seem to be picking up Redmine and Chili Project work. And, uh, I, <laughs> is that because I'm referring it all to you? Yes. <laughs> Which I appreciate. I'm, I'm also going to be picking up iPhone development just because I have, I ha, I now have enough clients that want Rails work done and iPhone work attached to the Rails work that, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to at least understand it well enough to hire a subcontractor that can do a good job on it. So, yeah. I, I, that's how I'm looking at a lot of stuff. It's like you need to know technology enough to say, is this code good or bad? And I mean, that's subjective stuff, especially if you're subcontracting or managing people. Like, you almost need that with anything you're going to touch. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to get to the point where it's really just, uh, not so much of a, 
um, you're, you're good or bad, but you know, would, would I have written it this way? In other words, I have enough expertise to have done it and done it well. And then I can look at it and say, you know, how does this compare to what I would have done and, and get an idea that way. So, so, so I know where the landmines are because it, you, you gain that by experience and, you know, having a, a minor amount isn't quite enough. Well, I'm curious, you know, we're talking about moving into different technologies and are we doing it in terms of, uh, what we want to do and find new projects or, you know, are you on a contract and you want to drive the client's projects with a different technology? You know, how do you go about convincing them? Well, we want to move off of the Java stack and do this other thing or something like that. Or I want to introduce JRuby or something like that. Is it, you know, moving from one technology in, in your general freelancing world or is it moving to a new technology with your existing clients? So I was under the impression that we were talking about, you know, in your general freelancing practice. So you, you worked primarily in one technology like say PHP and WordPress and then you made the transition so that now most of your work is Ruby or Rails. Yeah, I mean, what I do, with a, like, if a client comes to me, like, for example, when I went into PHP for a little bit, the client was like, we have these, I don't remember how many, like three other developers working on a PHP app, um, and or, you know, we are using WordPress. Like, those are hard requirements. We can't change that. I wanted to work with them. I needed the work. I didn't really feel like trying to shove Rails into that stack. And so I'm like, I know PHP. I can work with you with that. It's not my advertised specialty, but, you know, we can make something work with it. And it ended up, it was a good thing. And it got me to like the next stage of my career and freelancing stuff. And then, I mean, with the kind of pivot I did from Redmine Chili Project into more general Rails, that was more for myself in that I just kind of wanted to get out of that ecosystem a little bit. Um, I mean, I was doing it for, I think, four or five years straight. And it's, when you're in a code base for that long, you, kind of, I don't know, I mean, you get kind of these like mental blocks and different ways of thinking, and I was feeling kind of restricted in what I could do or what I was able to do, both code-wise and also for my clients. And so I wanted to pivot out of that. And, and you know, I still have people contacting me that want to work on Redmine stuff, and I'm referring that all to Chuck here, you know, and he's going and doing that. And so it's, I think it kind of depends on like, you know, is this your specialty? Is this what you actually do? And then on a case-by-case basis, like, what would work best for this client? And then if you want to actually provide that, if it's not your specialty. Right. So um, I want to ask, when you transitioned from PHP to Ruby, um, you already had some expertise in Ruby, is that correct? Yeah, a couple years and a, several apps in production. So yeah, I was I knew what I was doing with Rails. Right, so you weren't you weren't learning something new and then trying to pivot to it? No, and I mean, I did... So I, I'm going to get the dates wrong and the time wrong, but I did, I think, a year, maybe two years of PHP. And that's, you know, like the first actual language I was learning other than in school and did that for a while, found it wasn't working, discovered Rails, like right when it came out, did Rails because I was like, wow, this is awesome. Look at all this productivity compared to writing everything by hand. Um, did Rails for a while, got a job, was doing some Rails stuff then. And then I pivoted back to PHP just because, like I said, like they they already had existing code. And I'm trying to think, I think it was only for two clients I actually did PHP work, but it was for a span of, I think, six or eight months. Like, it was it was significant enough that when I came back to Rails, I had to kind of catch up and figure out what changed. Right. 
So I'm, I'm a little curious about maybe transitioning into something that you don't have expertise in. And it sounds like, Jim, you might have done that a little bit when you moved into Rails from design. Definitely. You know, I my programming background was ActionScript, I think, is where I did the most of my stuff. I, I jumped onto Flash when it was new and, you know, like version 3 or something and started getting into ActionScript. And I had all these crazy ideas about, you know, building my user interface based upon reading an XML file in through ActionScript, and I was all excited about it. So I did a lot of Flash work, and I would do, you know, pretty much whatever people needed. If uh, they needed to throw something together in ASP, I would, I was like a script kitty. I would, you know, find some script that did it, try to figure out how it worked, and uh, adjusted to my needs. And I, you know, I had built an e-commerce platform in PHP, but I never really felt like I knew any of them well. I think at the time I probably knew Postgres better than I knew any programming language that I was connecting to it with. But in doing the front end, um, design, um, that's actually how I got into doing Radiant CMS. And I would have, when I, when we decided to go with, with Rails for a particular client, we had our custom app and they needed a CMS. And so we found Radiant. And I just started diving onto it. You know, it was my job to handle the front end and do all the user interface work. And Radiant was a great way for me to learn about a new technology because I was building the stuff I was used to in the front end with the tools that I was learning. And I always recommend that to any designers that I meet. Like, look, just go and find a CMS. Like, if you want to learn PHP, for example, there's zillions of CMSs out there you can build a site with it and do all the stuff that you already know, but then dive deeper uh, and find out the other things. And so for me, it was very easy to, you know, as we were working on our custom apps, um, to also do the same with the front end work because I was right on top of a, a Ruby based CMS. So I think that's probably a good way to go about moving into new technologies, find some tool that is similar to what you're already doing so you understand the concepts in the domain and then figure out what are all the moving parts and how are they different from what I already know. Right. So did you, when you were making the transition to Rails, did you bill yourself as an expert or? No, no. I mean, we were, uh, my partner at the time, I used to have a business partner and, and he for sure was an expert. He left his... um PhD program in artificial intelligence to start the business with me. And um, I loved telling clients that because it impressed them very much. And he was fantastic. He was the type of guy who you'd throw onto a new technology and he would figure it all out and and get a project moving quickly. And uh, so that's what we did. And that's, you know, we were weighing Django and Rails and we decided, all right, let's go with Ruby and Rails. And um, we weren't Ruby experts. We were just the people who were going to help solve their problems. So they didn't really care on this particular project what we were going to use. You know, we could have gone in any direction. We just chose one that was best suited uh, for the task. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, I, I just I, I find it also fascinating, especially since, you know, there really are so many opportunities out there if you do want to uh, pivot one way or the other. Um, so... What what are what are kind of the repercussions of pivoting into a new technology? Uh, it seems like you might if you if you cut off the other stream of of work, you know, I'm not doing that kind of development anymore. Then you might run into a shortage of work. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely possible. I mean, uh, you know, coming from a design background, I used to do all design work, and as I moved into Ruby, it was 
you know, I found myself getting Ruby projects and my clients not even knowing that I had, you know, the ability to help them with design or vice versa. You know, I would get a, a design client and they had no idea I could do the Ruby stuff. But slowly over time, it just moved for me. Balancing the two was kind of weird. Um, I think it was good. I haven't done design work in a while and I kind of miss it. But, um, you know, just like if you balance too many projects, if you're balancing too many technologies, it's it's difficult to keep the ideas in your head, I think. Right. Did you have well, something you wanted the, to add, Eric? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's you get the problem of like jack of all trades, master of none. I mean, when I was... When it, during that stint when I was doing PHP for a while, like I said, coming back to Rails, it wasn't hard in that, like, I had to learn all the new APIs or any of that, but it was hard in that I had to see how the community changed, you know, what were the new topics, the new ideas, you know, what, what the cutting edge and bleeding edge meant. I mean, I'm trying to think back. I think when that happened was, I think it was actually kind of during a major transition to Rails 2. And so I missed a lot of that stuff. And so like I had to, I think I actually did like a Rails Rumble and my app was just me playing with all the new technology in Rails. That way I can at least get exposure to it, understand, maybe hurt myself in a couple places, but it was outside of a client project. So it wasn't a big deal. So that's, that's one thing you have to kind of really be careful with if you're doing a hard pivot and that if you if you do a pivot and like you go to something new and it doesn't quite work out or it you don't actually get enough projects and you have to go back making that time up and trying to figure out what happened in the community might be pretty difficult and so that's that's something you kind of got to watch for um if you're kind of splitting it where you're doing both stuff for a little bit and kind of doing a slow transition it's a little bit easier because you can kind of keep one foot in each one but obviously it's going to take more time more training and you know, it's it's just going to be a little bit longer transition, right? That makes a lot of sense. So, I'm I'm wondering, are there any other aspects of of pivoting that we that we should talk about? I, I don't have a lot of experience here because I really haven't. I mean, a, a pivot from Ruby on Rails to pick up Redmine work is just more Rails work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's just you have to become familiar with a code base that a whole lot more people are using is the only difference. So. I mean, the, I mean, this happened, I think in most of my pivots is it wasn't so much like a client or actually a technical change. It was more of my personal reasons. You know, when I was doing PHP and came into Rails, like it felt good. Like I, I felt not even, not more productive, but I just felt like I enjoyed what I was doing more. Mm-hmm. And then when I went into Redmine and, you know, kind of, you know, narrowing down what I worked on, it felt good. Like it was like, oh, wow, I can, instead of jumping from one code base to another, I can really focus in on one code base, learn it really well and know, you know, where all the rough edges are. And that's, and that worked good for me for several years because like someone could just talk to me and say like, what are the problem areas? And I can list like almost to the line of code where you're going to run into problems if you're doing this thing. And then, Later on leaving Redmine, like I said, I just felt pretty constrained and I just kind of wanted a little bit, a little fresher stuff, you know, be able to try new technologies because, you know, Redmine is Rails 2. I think they're moving to Rails 3 now, but it's, if you look at it, there's still code in there from six years ago, like Rails generate scaffold type code. So it wasn't moving that fast and I felt like I wasn't really growing as a developer, as a person with that. And so, Moving into kind of more general stuff, I'm able to kind of pick up projects that are, 
you know, Rails 3 cutting edge or maybe even some MVC JavaScript stuff where it's like, yeah, this is, this is fun. It's exciting for me. This makes me feel like as a developer, it's something good. So to me, almost, I would probably say every pivot I've done has had a, a large impact on how I feel, how, you know, being a developer, preventing burnout, that sort of idea. I think that's a really good point. I, I never really thought back to consider it, but when I was moving into Rails, like I had done some, you know, PHP work in the past and I never really enjoyed it. But when I started learning Rails and Ruby, I freaking loved it. And, um, it wasn't just me evaluating technologies and looking at the lay of the land thinking, this is a good career move for me. It, it wasn't that at all. I didn't even consider that. It wasn't until years later that I, you know, could look back and be like, wow, that was a really <laughs> fortuitous event that I, you know, got into doing Ruby development and, um, and I enjoyed it the whole time and I still do. So I think that's a, a good thing to weigh is, you know, if you are planning on pivoting, if it's something that you really do enjoy, Try it out, you know, write about it, go to uh, whatever meetups there are and talk about it. Um, in fact, at a recent uh, DC Rug meeting, uh, oh, I've forgotten his name. There's someone who did a presentation on a library that helps you use Clojure and Ruby together. And he did the presentation and in the end he basically said, you know, the only reason I'm talking about this library so I can come to a Ruby group and talk about Clojure. Um, so he was excited about Clojure, and he was working that into not only his day job, but uh, the community where he was already involved. And I, I think that's a good thing. I think we can, you know, if, if, if you are excited about some technology, then it's perfectly fine to go and talk about it with the people who are involved in something else and see, you know, who else is excited about it. Yeah, I mean, and kind of a different angle is I'm a heavy Emacs user. I've used Emacs for seven, eight, maybe nine years now. I still love watching people using Vim because I pick up things that I can't you know, directly do it in Emacs, but I can say, wow, I need to copy that technique or that style. And I've learned some of the best things in Emacs from watching people in Vim. So, so that kind of leads into another question I was thinking about. Is there a difference between pivoting into new technology and learning new technology to broaden your horizons? Yeah. I mean, I think learning new tech is something we should do regularly. I mean, I try to, I talked about it on a previous episode, but I try to do it every week, like on a Friday. And that's more of just like getting a sample of what's out there. Like what is the cutting edge in tech versus the cutting edge in the Ruby community? But pivoting is more, I see pivoting, how's a lean startup actually use pivoting? Pivoting is the idea of you're going a certain direction. And instead of completely like jumping track and going someplace else, you keep one foot down and you pivot on that foot. So you're heading in a different direction. You know, you still have one foot that stays stationary, but your overall trend is to a different way. And so with freelancing, you can kind of think of that as you're pivoting by, you know, you're still doing freelancing. You're still doing everything in your business the way it used to be. But the change is that you're doing a completely different technology or offering a different service around a technology. And so that's kind of where I see it in that you're not really embracing kind of what's in the past as much. So if you're doing like Jim wouldn't be doing both design and development, you know, if he pivoted. So it's, I think, a bit harder line than just dabbling in something. Right. So if you... Say you do decide to add um, iPhone development Objective-C to your repertoire and you're still going to keep 
doing the web development in Rails? Is that a pivot? Is it kind of somewhere halfway in between? I would say no. I would say it's not a pivot. I'd say it's like an extension of your product line or something. Okay. Now, if you added Objective-C and still offered Rails, but you weren't marketing about your Rails, like it was just like, this is an item that's on the shelf, but you're not talking about it, I could consider that a pivot. I mean, you're, people will come to know you as someone who does Objective-C, who happens to know some Rails stuff too. Right. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, I've we talked about this in the pre-show. I mean, pivot is kind of a buzzword right now, so there's different definitions and different styles, and I know a lot of people think of pivot as throw everything out the window and start from scratch, and that's not really what it was supposed to be, I think. Yeah, I'll buy that. So are there any gotchas other than maybe the possible financial, um, you know, where you, you quit doing one type of work or quit marketing it and start doing another one? You could hate it. I mean, you could go into, you know, say you go into PHP and completely hate that environment and then have to either suffer through it or pivot back mm-hmm. or pivot to something else, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, you know, I used to be glad that I knew XSLT. I did a lot of work in XSLT and um, I would put it like on my resume so that it was there and people could see that I, I could do it. Um but I never, ever had to do that again. So I'm fully pivoted away from XSLT. Right. So um, did you find a comparable replacement, or did you just move away from development that required it altogether? I just moved away from development. I mean, we were doing a lot of XML parsing and um, you know, changing it from one format into another, and I just never needed that again. It was a big project for a government contract, and... Um, it was ugly and slow and terrible, just like uh, government projects tend to be, at least the ones that I've been on. It, it strikes me that the only thing worse than parsing XML is parsing it from XML to XML because you still have XML. <laughs> exactly, and using well, an XML-based yeah. language to do it. Using XML to parse XML into XML is probably the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I did that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That sounds very meta. <laughs> Sounds uh, terrible. Boy, we, we've talked about all kinds of interesting pain today. You've got the, the language that compiles to a language that compiles to machine code. and <laughs> Cold fusion on, what was it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> an access database. Yeah, that was yeah. great. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Technology I mean, is not all unicorns and butterflies. Like, it's some of it's really nasty to mess yeah. with. So, I, I, I wonder then... Um, was it was it more or less lucrative to pivot out of some of those areas? I mean, I'm assuming you were paid pretty well to uh, work with uh, XSLT or to work with PHP. You know, for me, it was uh, the type of thing, like, I, I have the aptitude to understand programming, um, even while I was just, you know, just a lowly designer. Um, and uh, I never really loved any of it. Um, so I... It, it wasn't even, you know, can I get paid enough? It was, did I like it? And so once XSLT wasn't needed anymore on the project, I was glad to be done. But, you know, like I said when I, earlier, I, when it came to getting into Ruby, I was just so excited about it. I, I love teaching 
people new to development and showing them Rails, and after a very short period of time, you can say, look, you can now store information in a database. And their their eyes light up, and they're like, wow, that's amazing. It's that easy? And I think if we look at pivoting to new technologies with the same sort of excitement, I think that will be good. Uh, I haven't put a lot of time into exploring other languages and technologies I'd like to, but you know, I'm, I've sort of been interested in iOS development because it could be lucrative. But when I talk to people about it, they're like, yeah, it's a really terrible and verbose language, but you get used to it. Um, there are some people who love it, but there's nothing been like screaming, oh, go learn it now. You're just going to be so excited that you know Objective-C. Yeah, I have to point out, and I was kind of driving toward this, and you, you talked around it a little bit, but in my experience, there are exceptions to this I just want to point out because there are areas that are both painful and extremely lucrative, and that's why they're extremely lucrative, lucrative cool. because nobody wants to do it. That's or true. Nobody wants to do it anymore. But in most cases, in, in, in most fields, the more you like your job, it's funny, the more you wind up getting paid. Well, and I think the same goes for the clients as well. You know, as freelancers, there's sometimes we have clients who pay really well. And there are times when you need that. And other times when you have been through, you know, the ringer with the client. And uh, after a while, you look at, at the experience and you say, it's just not worth all of that money. I'd rather find happiness somewhere else and hopefully still pay my mortgage. Right. And, and the other thing is, and we've talked about this on the show before, too, as far as like lifestyle design and things, is that uh, basically past a certain point, past a certain ability to just pay all your bills and things like that, it, it doesn't matter so much how much you're making as much as, you know, your quality of life and whether or not you like what you do. Yeah, the, what is it, Maslow's hierarchy of needs or something like that. Yeah, and so, when, yeah, once you get high enough up, then it doesn't matter if you're making, um, you know, 10000 20000 or 30000 more than you need to um, pay all the bills every year. Um, you're much more interested in the fact that you don't hate your life anymore because you're spending eight hours working in a technology that you can't stand. I remember going to, I remember going to early, um, Rails comps. I think my, the first one I went to is maybe 2008. So I don't know if that's that early. Maybe it was 2009. I don't remember. And, you know, back then you heard a lot about how horrible Java was and people were moving from Java. Um, you don't really hear about it so much anymore because I think people who hated that stuff have, for the most part, moved, or at least the vocal ones have. But you know, you could you could get a nice career doing Java work, and um, you still can. But you know, some people have moved on to other things, and you know, their lives are better for it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, it's 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 fascinating now that rather than the Rails community talking about moving from Java, you know, now it's you know the transitions are from one company to another where we have these big companies and you have folks that, you know, used to work at this Rails dev shop and now they're working for Groupon or, you know, they were working for Groupon and now they're working for Hashrocket or somebody. And, you know, it just, it just moves around. It, it's the, the transitions are more, more lateral as far as the technology, you know, it's orthogonal to that. It's, it's what, what am I getting out of my job other than the technology? That's probably something to think about, maybe not as a freelancer, but, you know, there might be a place where you want to work and you know that they do, um, for example, uh, relevance. I think they do a lot of Ruby and a lot of Clojure. And if you're a Ruby developer and you think, wow, I'd really love to work at relevance, 
then maybe diving into closure would be a good, you know, career move, move for you. Um, but there are things like that where you can look at different companies and say, I think I'd really like to work there or work with this person or that person and explore the technology that they're using because it might give you that opportunity. Right. Well, you could do that with freelance. Like if you know a company that you want to work with is using a certain technology, you can pick that up and focus on that. And, you know, if you try to pitch to them or whatever, you might have a better chance than if you didn't know that technology, but, you know, you're quote, willing to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious. We have about five or 10 minutes left before we have to do the picks. What technologies do you see people pivoting to? And it doesn't necessarily just have to be in the Ruby community, but uh, just in general, I mean, what what technologies are people picking up and getting excited about these days? I've seen a lot of movement to JavaScript, both on server side with Node and also um, client side with the JavaScript MVC type things. That's good. I've played with a few of them. It's it's interesting. Um, you know, this goes back to my point of I don't think it's right for me right now. It just doesn't feel as good as Ruby, especially server side. That's a big one. The mobile stuff, just the underlying mobile changes is actually causing Objective C and, you know, the JVM stuff for Android to kind of have a, a bit of popularity. So I see a lot of people doing that. And I mean, you can't go to any you know, top tier Rails consultancy right now without seeing we do Ruby, Rails, Node.js, and iOS stuff. I mean, they all do that now. And I think they're just trying to get on that, uh, not bandwagon, but just kind of the, the trend. Well, especially seeing, with the tablet market out there. I mean, yeah. Everybody's I mean, got a new one and, and that's where the hotness is. Yeah. And that, that could be a good thing. I mean, I got into Rails before Rails got hot. And I mean, it, it paid off for me really well. I mean, it's a, it was like a, a technology education investment that has paid well. So I think mobile's pretty good. Um, I, I really like mobile web stuff. And so that's going to be big. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard to predict this kind of stuff. The, the nice thing, especially with Rails is I'm seeing a lot of the ideas that might come up in the JavaScript community kind of trickle its way back into Rails. So like PJAX or TurboLinks, those are some really recent examples that have come in, I guess, in the past few weeks. You know, those those are really great ideas. And it's like, wow, this is actually, you know, comes from JavaScript MVC into Rails server side stuff. And so it's like, I don't know if it's necessarily like this technology is the new hot thing, but it's these ideas are going to make technology in general a lot better. Yeah, I've seen a lot of movement from people toward... Some of the older technologies, too. I know that Smalltalk has gotten a small resurgence as well as some of the Lisp variants. Um, you know, you mentioned Clojure as, as one that's uh, based on Lisp or Scheme or something. But yeah, you, you've gone over most of the rest of the, the programming languages that I see people moving to. I mean, I, I think there's still some movement out of some of the more established or establishment languages like Java and .NET and into mm-hmm. uh, Python and Ruby. Um, and, and if you're in those communities, you see that a little bit more. Um, well, I'm seeing those guys like dot, .NET and Java specifically pulling a lot of stuff from dynamic languages. Like .NET got some JavaScript stuff recently and, you know, JRuby for Java is a big deal. So I, I think it's a lot more sharing. Like yeah. if you look back five or 10 years, languages and technology wasn't sharing as much like ideal wise and now mm-hmm. it's it's moving so fast that it's almost pretty much going to be it doesn't matter what stack you choose you can still do all the same things so you can actually pick which one makes you the happiest 
That's true. And and you also have things like the Windows phone. I mean, we're talking about mobile. When the Windows phone's coming out, the the .NET guys are, you know, they're they're getting a little bit of mobile goodies there. And the Java, I mean, the JVM is on the Android phone. So, you know, again, you know, some of them are not necessarily pivoting on the technology as much as the environment. And I know that there's actually a, a talk at Aloha Ruby conference that I'm looking forward to. And it's, I think it's Matt Imanetti, and he's talking about uh, about MRuby, which is the, the mobile Ruby language thing that Matt's has been working on lately. So, oh, yeah. So it should it should be really interesting to see exactly where you know people might be moving up or down rather than doing web development in Ruby or um, DevOps scripting in Ruby where they move into mobile development in Ruby using Ruby Motion or MRuby. What about you, Jim? What are you noticing? Pretty much the same things, you know, uh, front end JavaScript uh, frameworks, um, Ruby Motion. I've seen a lot of people. Uh, get excited about. And I think it's partly because you can stay within your bubble of Ruby and do iOS apps, but definitely mobile. I mean, for years, mobile has been, um, you know, native mobile development has been uh, getting bigger. And just learning about front-end design as well, it seems to be, at least from what I can tell, more back-end developers are scratching their heads thinking, I really ought to learn, you know, responsive design and, and those types of things. I might not be able to do it well, but I want to feel comfortable in a code base or something like that. And so I think there's uh, uh, back-end developers are feeling sort of like they have a kind of a gap in their skill set and they, they need to level up for front-end work. But yeah, it is it is difficult to predict and you never know. You know, I don't, I, I can't imagine anybody years ago would have said, uh, oh, Ruby's going to be really hot, you know, just wait till somebody makes a framework that everybody loves, you know, so you never really can tell what will come of, you know, any of the exciting technologies that are out there. Someone might look at Clojure and get ideas and all of a sudden PHP becomes awesome for some reason. Um, you know, I, I they think... They actually get a yeah. namespace for all their functions. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, actually, there's, uh, you know, I'm curious about what will happen with Perl 6, if it will ever see the light of day. There's a lot of cool technologies in there and things that Ruby can learn from Perl. I don't think it will be the future, but um, probably because I say that, then it will be. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of languages. Uh, I know uh, a friend of mine, Brock Wilcox, who's a Perl developer, comes to our Arlington Ruby meetups and um, he says he's waiting for all the hipsters to get into Perl because nobody's using it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, this kind of goes back to some Paul Graham stuff. Like some of his early essays were pretty good about, you know, you use the technology because it's going to give you an edge, you know, whether that edge is for your company or, you know, if you're freelancing. And, you know, if Perl gets some amazing features, but only half a dozen people know about it, they could have an edge on stuff. And that's, I think, Ruby had that when Rails came out. Like Ruby was pretty great before Rails, but when Rails came out, it kind of showed everyone like, hey, look at all this stuff we can do. And so like that's that's something you kind of want to keep in mind. I mean, maybe not for if you're going to pivot, but if you're looking at like dabbling in things, like try to figure out like, you know, does learning Erlang give me an edge on something? Like, could I use this in production in certain places or is there an idea I can borrow from it? And I think that's kind of that's kind of the bigger long-term perspective of technology versus, you know, I'm going to bet on this horse because I think it's going to win the race. 
Right. But I want to agree with Jim about the whole front end stuff. Like I, I've been picking up some responsive design and I've always dabbled in CSS and, you know, very, very, very basic design stuff. But I've been trying to fill out that part of me a little bit more because I have the back inside, you know, pretty solid and I have the dev outside pretty solid. And it's like the missing piece of my stack is that whole front end. Right. And I'm pretty proficient with the front end. It's the, you know, colors and shapes and layouts and white space or negative space and understanding how that all works together to make something look nice. If somebody gives me a PSD or a PNG that, you know, shows me um, what it's supposed to look like, I mean, I can mirror that in CSS and it's not too terrible. But when it comes down to actually, you know, hammering out the details on how to make it look that way, it just, yeah, it just... That that is something that I haven't learned to do, and it's something that I'd like to learn to do. But you know, it it comes down to priorities at that point. So yeah, and it's also, I mean, you want to be a jack of all trades versus specialize, and that's something to think about too. Like I I know enough CSS to get me by, um, with the exception of selector syntax, just because that's awesome and I love that. But you know, I when I work with a client, I'll be like, yeah. I, I can tweak your design, but I'm not going to be able to design something for you. Like it's way more efficient for everyone involved to just you get a designer or have someone design something and I will tweak it as we go if we need it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, anyway, we're about to the point where we need to do picks. Uh, is there any other aspect of pivoting that you guys want to talk about before we uh, roll over to do that? One thing I just want to mention, cause this is what I did is if you are doing an actual pivot where you're changing what you're offering, close out your contracts with your current clients. Don't leave them hanging. Um, if you can get them to, the best case is get them on it with another freelancer so there's a smooth transition. Um, but if you can't do that, you know, document how stuff is done, you know, help them kind of close out the project. Um, that's like, that's like what clients' worst fear is that a freelancer just says, I'm not going to work with you and I'm going to leave. So if you're, if you are going to do a, a pivot, try to, try to think about your clients with that. And I think most people who are listening to this podcast and most people who do freelancing professionally understand this, but I just want to reiterate that point. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I totally agree. All right. Well, let's do the picks. Eric, what are your picks? So, um, I already mentioned at the beginning, my first pick is the business of freelancing podcast. I started with, uh, Brennan Dunn. We have two episodes up. We're doing it every week or so. Um, we're in iTunes. You can search for the business of freelancing or you can go to our website, uh, businessoffreelancing.com and subscribe there. And then my second pick is a post from the signal versus noise blog, which is put out by 37 signals. The, it's called automating with convention and introducing sub and sub is an open source kind of wrapper for the terminal to kind of run commands. I think as it is, it's not very useful, but what it's really useful for is if you have like a bunch of scripts or, you know, miscellaneous tasks that you do on the command line, you can use the conventions that sub gives you to kind of build a suite of apps. So if you've, uh, if you use Git or Subversion, you know, there's, you have the main Git version binary and then there's subcommands and all that. This thing, the, the sub, I'm going to call it a library. I don't know what it is. The sub actually kind of makes it easy to build that sort of thing. And that's, I haven't used it yet, but I'm planning on because I've, I probably have about a dozen scripts in a folder that are backup hyphen and then some server name or SSH hyphen another server name. And so it's kind of a disorganized mess. 
But by using sub, I can actually kind of consolidate all that to a standard convention and then make it really easy to maintain, actually have documentation and all that. So it's it looks pretty neat. I haven't tried it. I'll probably give it a run, you know, the next few weeks or so and try to cut down all the, the one-off scripts I have. All right. Jim, what are your picks? In the interest of pivoting, I don't know if you guys have uh, heard of Adhesion, but it's a it's a framework for building voice applications. And it's sort of like the Rails for telephony. Um, it's not Rails, but it's a Ruby uh, framework that allows you to build uh, applications on top of your uh, voice systems. My old partner and I, when we had an office, we built on top of, uh, gosh, I can't remember the name of the asterisk. We built on top of asterisk and, uh, that was, it was fine. I've heard great things about asterisk. I was always reviewing the book on it, but, um, I always wanted to dive into adhesion and I've sort of had that in the back of my mind. Like eventually I will build an adhesion app and, and play with it and see what I can do. Um, uh, and then, uh, there's a book that's being written by Noah Gibbs called Rebuilding Rails. Um, it's not finished yet, but I love what he's doing with it. And I find that often a lot of new developers anyway will dive into building a Rails app and some problem arises and they go to Google to, you know, get the answer and see if it's there or find, you know, Stack Overflow or something like that. And Rebuilding Rails is a book about Understanding Rails better by trying to rebuild it. So, you know, what if I needed to write an ORM? What would I do? And it sort of walks you through how to do that and kind of guides you along the path of understanding how Rails works. And I think it would be a great companion. I don't really see it as a book that I would like read all the way through. Others have and I know they like it, but I would kind of keep it by my side and like run into a problem and look it up like, what's actually going on here? Like, it may not be the actual code, but it might help get my brain in the right frame of mind for understanding the bugs that I run into. Um, and then, lastly, uh, Heckle version 2, um, I think the beta release came out um, early October. Um, it's, uh, it's a testing mutation uh, library, so if you're running your tests and you want crazy things to happen to make sure you've caught exceptions and and strange errors in a way that um, perhaps might arise you know if the wrong input comes in from from a user or something like that uh, heckle will help you kind of track down uh, what happens if you if you know unexpected things happen in your code awesome uh, I like heckle it's it's kind of a neat tool all right well I'll go ahead and put in some picks my first pick is flux that's f dot lux what it is is it's uh, an app for your Mac, and it dims the screens and changes the color a little bit at night so that it's not so bright. It, it really helped kind of relax my eyes last night while I was um, doing some work late. I was putting together my talk, you know, finalizing things for my talk for Aloha Ruby Conference and uh, a few other things, and it, it was just nice because I didn't feel like I was staring at this bright screen um, while I was up late. And uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I, I think I think that's all the picks I really have right now. I'm I've kind of been slammed working on this stuff, so um, I haven't had a lot of time to put together a list of picks. I, I need to do that. But anyway, um, so we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Um, just a few items I want to remind you of. Um, first, go check out 
uh, the business of podcast or the business of freelancing podcast that, that Eric's doing. Is there a URL for that, Eric? Uh, yeah, it's just businessoffreelancing.com. Awesome. And then go sign up for the intro to coffee script course at intro to coffeescript.eventbrite.com. And, uh, we'll wrap this up. We'll catch you all next week. I'm not going to be there next week. I'm actually going to be at, uh, I'm going to be flying back from Hawaii, but, uh, Eric said that he could record for me. So we'll, we'll get it recorded and get it put up. Yeah. So you can blame me for the audio quality at that point. All right. Well, I guess we're done. Take care.